Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, Matt and Ryan look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words! Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to Fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do but we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? What trips to telephones that are no different to you? Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. I'm Ryan Placetti, the guy that Tiger Beat calls the shy one. And I'm Matt Saint Singh. I don't know if I don't know if I'm on Tiger Beat's radar, but you know, maybe maybe someday. You're the cool one. Uh, that makes me that, that that makes me happy. I like how these are how these are ways to describe the boys and boy vans. It's that's exactly what it is. And what I, what I love about it is that this is a promotional decision that I made unilaterally that Matt would be the cool one and I would be the shy one. Not the first time you have unilaterally made a marketing decision without telling me, but that's OK. Eh, that's OK. I don't mind. I am such a chill guy. I'm more of a go with the flow kind of guy. So literally, if you just want to steal my credit and buy a house or two, man, uh, like whatever. I, we're, we've been buds for a long time. So yeah. if it has to happen, I'm glad it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I became Matt Saint Singh. That is how, that's how that's how you stole my identity and took my entire net worth, which is you know tens of dollars at this point. Dozens, dozens of dollars. Even we're not even oh. counting by tens. We're in base 12, like in the movie Battlefield Earth. Oh, yeah. What a weird movie. What a weird movie. Oh, I read the book. Oh, but well, had, that's weirder. But I had to stop. <laughs> I had to stop reading it because I got to the sad part and started crying. I was like 12. Did you read the OK, so you read the book before you saw the movie? Uh, I've never seen the movie. I can't imagine anyone that would see the movie would then try to read the book. But think, oh, the book's got to be so good based on the movie. <laughs> it, like it is. It just is not. It is. It just is not. It's got Forrest Whitaker in it, though. It's got John Travolta, a few other big name actors that escape me. That is an all star intergalactic cast. Uh, no, it, honestly, it just did not look good. <laughs> We've actually started to get listener feedback. I am so excited. This is actually coming from Brad Hafford, who is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and he happens to be my old boss. That's nice. And University of Pennsylvania is a very impressive institution. So I'm glad we have such lofty listeners. Yeah, I mean, it's book ended by being founded by Benjamin Franklin and then providing the education for Donald Trump and all of his stupid children. That's right. He went to Wharton, the business school. You got to figure that like just dropped prestige a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to join the Big Ten or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what does Brad have to say? Your anecdote uh, from episode one, actually, Mm. about Senator Imhoff. Bringing a snowball into Congress actually reminded him of an ancient event. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I know. It was also, it was also Jim Einhoff, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's an old man. Yeah. Uh, so he raised an anecdote from the Third Punic War. Mm. If we're going to give it a hard title, it's Cato and the Fig. Okay. So what happened was Cato brought a fresh fig into the Roman Senate chamber and said it was from Carthage. It's very similar to Imhoff bringing in the snowball. It doesn't sound similar at all. How is it similar? His point was that if a fig could get to Rome fresh, then the Carthaginians could get there fast enough 
to catch Rome by surprise and defeat them. Okay. Made a huge impact, uh, possibly even won the war. Wow. Was this was this fig like from his own garden? The fig was probably not really from Carthage, but it made a rhetorical point that was actually effective, unlike the one in our Congress with the <laughs> snowball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, Jim Einhoff, he solved climate change with this stunt. We do appreciate it. Yeah, he solved climate change like ostriches solve the problem of anything that isn't sand. <laughs> Anyway, thanks, Brad. Um, I think that's a great anecdote. And I think maybe it's a recurring uh, pattern through history is what it sounds like of statesmen just creating policy based on a fucking hunch. <laughs> like Congress's prop comedy. The event that comes to mind most recently is uh, Matt Gates wearing a gas mask to make fun of basic preventative measures to prevent the spread of COVID. Breaking news. Matt Gates is exactly the guy we all thought he was. I'm sure he won't do anything else bad the rest of his career. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Brad. We do appreciate you listening and keep the ancient anecdotes coming. I'm sure he I'm sure he will. I also have listener feedback. And who is this coming from? This is from a former co-worker of mine, Maurice, who's an all around great guy. We worked uh, with each other at the Japanese newspaper. He was kind of like the elder statesman of the group. Like he still had like a young, cool vibe, right? Well, I yeah, no, he's totally cool. Nobody wants to be the elder. Nobody wants to be the elder statesman. No, 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 no. I think Maurice wants to be the elder statesman. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll allow it. Actually, every year he hosts a Burns night where we go over, drink scotch and just read some Scottish poems. So it's pretty cool. I want to go to that. Uh, Well, I can see I can I'll see if I can get you an invite. What if we do an episode from Burns night? That would be hilarious. Oh, dude, that would be so cool. I'll talk to Maurice. Maurice, if you're listening to us, send me a DM or something. Let me know if you're into it. But I want to get into his feedback. Maurice, consider this a self-invitation to your Burns night. We will be there. Uh, you, If you need to provide documentation, you can put a letter in the mail officially inviting us. But we have now invited ourselves to your Burns night. Oh, so. it, 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 if you get a letter in the mail, it's more than I get. I'm, I'm part of the group text. Oh. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about his feedback here. This was from uh, episode three, Doggy Day Drinking where we answered a question from Reddit about how painful lava would be to die. And Maurice brings up a good point. We didn't talk about the danger of volcanic gases at all. Okay. And I would say, Maurice, that was maybe by design because the question was about how painful lava was and how deadly it was. It wasn't about the general uh, danger of volcanoes. But he but Maurice does bring up a good point that if you breathe in your methane, CO2, a bunch of funky shit comes off volcanoes. And if you breathe it in, it won't be very good. So thank you, Maurice, for catching that. I think that's fair. If you're trying to throw yourself into the lava to find out if it hurts, which we do not recommend for legal reasons, be sure to hold your breath (laughs) because you might not get there. If you just get a Matt Gates gas mask, maybe ask Matt Gates if you can if he can uh, you know bring it in. Well, he's not going to be allowed to bring it into prison with him. So <laughs> anyway, I appreciate it. And also, Maurice, he, he sent me a text and he says he enjoyed your contribution, Ryan. So, Maurice, you're officially dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that doesn't quite bring us to our next topic, but I'm ready to talk about it, Ryan, if you're game. Oh, well, I think we've arrived once again at the part of the podcast where we ask our listeners to close their eyes and open their minds and imagine a scenario in which Matt has artfully transitioned. And I don't, topic. I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that, but, <laughs> any, but I just, come on, you're like picking on me on my own show. If I wanted this experience, I would have gone back to middle school. <laughs> 
Again, we take questions from r slash no stupid questions. And this question comes from Momo hyphen and then 14 capital A's. So it's Momo. Uh, <laughs> that was Momo. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, what was that one song? Welcome to the jungle, right? No, 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 no. I'm thinking an immigrant song like we come from the land of the ice and snow. Oh, that's what I. OK, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a good one, too. Is. Or it could be Momo. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, so his Momo's uh, 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 asks, uh, how is fuck bitches get money supposed to be viewed as fuck bitches while getting money or don't bother with bitches concentrate on making money? And before we get into this, I kind of want to just give a caveat that you should never call anyone in your life bitches unless unless they're cool with if you're a drag queen and you're talking to another drag queen. Yeah, I mean, I, it is socially acceptable to use the word bitches. Yeah, that's an acceptable time. If the if the other drag if the other drag queen is cool with it, I would say you know you, you don't want to be uh-huh. if you're a drag queen and you're calling other drag queens bitches without checking in on that. I don't think that's that's appropriate. We're gonna talk about fucking bitches and getting money, but we're kind of talking about it in the context of music lyrics. It's kind of like in the context of if you remember in high school and you're reading Huckleberry Finn in a group and people are reading out loud and you have to count as many paragraphs like oh god do I have to say it if we all know we're talking about but uh which actually happened in my 10th grade um luckily i didn't say it it was a guy named chad who was just an all-around terrible person so we're gonna use that we're gonna talk about fuck bitches get money in that context if that makes sense yeah and i i would bring you back to uh james lipton from inside the actor studios interview with sasha baron cohen in his persona of ollie g mm. in which ollie g asked him about bitches and james lipton immediately immediately says we don't use language like bitches and hoes wow. because we don't because it's classless yeah and james lipton is a classy dude who i, I hope we don't find any uh, find out anything post-mortem about him that gets him canceled and <laughs> that will get us canceled for complimenting him tell him how great of a guy he is no james lipton all around great guy love his tea big fan of his tea <laughs> no so uh it, so that really kind of begs the question and by tea you of course mean truth mm, well it, it, that's what a gen z would would say it is but um mm-hmm. no so where does the phrase originate i think little wayne gets undue credit here for coining that expression okay um it actually started with um, the notorious big is the rightful heir to the fuck bitches get money thrown when we talk about where does the phrase come from i i just think it comes from the heart <laughs> you know it's very it's very passionate there's a little bit of context that i think is required there because biggie smalls was a grown-ass man yeah saying these things yeah and lil wayne was actually a child prodigy yeah. so lil, lil wayne like he got his big break into the rap world at the age of what 14 something like that yeah yeah when the notorious big means it i would assume that he's saying Set your romantic pursuits aside and pursue financial security. Whereas Lil Wayne at the age of 14 is probably not thinking all that much about financial security. He's thinking about material wealth, certainly. And about like getting with women. Yeah. yeah. And and sexual exploration. Yeah. And not just women. We don't know Lil Wayne's life. Let's not. No, I'm not prejudging whatever whatever you're into, whatever you're into. The the song comes from Junior Mafia. The song is called Get Money featuring Biggie. Uh, and it repeats fuck bitches get money three times in the song's opening. And I think when you listen to the full song, this, I listened to it a few times before, before I jumped on here because 90s rap is not bad, right? Even though it is definitely misogynistic. I think we should definitely say that before we go any further. Uh, we don't we don't have to say it. I think it's just kind of it's understood. There's like a, you get yeah. there's an immediate pass like. We're recording this the day after DMX passed away. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of fond remembrances of him because he was uh, in, a, in a lot of ways a groundbreaking artist. Absolutely. But I don't I don't think people are necessarily keeping track of the sheer volume of homophobia in his body of work. No, I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot of homophobia. There's a lot of misogyny in rap in general, m- more than a whiff, I would say. Yeah. But the, the, the overall message of the song is that money is more important than women. So it's like, fuck bitches, like disregard your sexual exploits and concentrate on on gaining currency is is the message of the song. Honestly, it's almost like a magical incantation in a lot of ways. It's like uh, you said it's three times in the song. It's like summoning Beetlejuice. Well, it's three times in the beginning of the song. Yeah, you're right. If, if you say fuck bitches get money three times in the mirror, you will have a stack of racks in, appear in front of you. But that was in 1996. And in 2009, a artist by the name of Ya Boy pays homage to the original. Wait, who's boy? What's up? Who's boy? Ya Boy. Yuz. Oh, yeah, your boy. I know him. Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, he's my boy. Right. Big fan. No, he pays homage to to this original rendition uh, in the song's opening. He says, first, we fuck bitches, then we get money. But he then transitions to then we fuck bitches. But first we get money. So there's many ways to interpret this, Ryan. I'm, I'm curious. What, what's your what do you think about this? Well, I, I, I think your boy said it. Probably most clearly there, it, it's. But how do you interpret it? It's it, 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 they're two different things. They're the opposite things. They they are opposite things, but I think we can live in you Con- know yeah. states of states of opposition, and 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 we can exist in par- in paradoxical realities. You know, our priorities shift moment to moment. We don't necessarily need to take this in as a principle. We need to take this as as a mantra that shifts meaning according to our mental state. How I interpret this is I think the version has two meanings. Uh, first, you seek out female companionship and then you go after your money interests. Uh, and then you get and then it transitions to getting your financial house in order before you find a nice young lady to settle down with. But because it has both of those interactions inversed, I think it kind of means they're one and the same or that they are as important. So that's my nickel analysis. I, I think your boy actually like this is kind of a uh, coming of age tale in a lot of ways. He's not your man. He's your boy. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> your boy becomes your man in a building's <laughs> Roman tale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of exploration in which a young man finds his place in society Absolutely. after rebelling against it. Absolutely. But it's, it's it kind of reminds me of, uh, you you know, that song in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I remember all of them. Which one are you talking about? Well, I'm going to be very careful because Disney is very litigious. This is fair use. It's fair use. Disney lawyers don't give a fuck. Yeah, but the yeah, you're fuck. right. You're right. You're right. Gaston says, when I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large. Oh. And now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs. So I'm roughly the size of a barge. It's it's about developing when, when you're a boy, you do this thing that makes you feel like a man. And then when you're older, your, your priorities shift a little bit. You get that extra dozen eggs. And well, four, four dozen eggs. I think it has to do with I, I ate four eggs to get strong. Now that I am strong, no, not four eggs four like when he was a lad, he ate four dozen eggs. That's 48 eggs. OK, OK. So Jesus Christ, this guy's cholesterol is off the charts. He, as, as a man, he goes to Walmart. He gets the he gets the five dozen egg pack. That's 60 eggs. <laughs> and then he boom, he eats them. And now he's a man. Yeah, but but <laughs> it, it still makes sense. You know, so you ate a shit ton of eggs to become a man. Now you're a man, you eat even more eggs because you're trying to 
gain more success or you're trying to become even bigger. That's how I that's how I take it. <laughs> uh, getting back to as much as I love talking about Gaston, I actually hate talking about Gaston. Um, and I'm kind of I don't I'm going to bring him up every episode now. Well, you're in trouble. Well, I don't know if I should say why, because I don't want to piss off certain people in my life. But let me just say that okay. there is a special someone in my life who is, you know, uh, physically attracted to the in, in the live version of Beauty and the Beast, that actor. Uh, and so and can, like, can you call Elise? Can you call Elise in here? I want to have a conversation. Oh, she with her. she she uh, I will not do. I will do no such thing. <laughs> yeah. oh, because I value my but, I value my all right. So let's 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 just say that the uh, uh, I think that to answer the question on no stupid questions, yes. which is really our goal. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, ostensibly. Ostensibly, our goal is to answer that question. Yeah. So, so the, the original interpretation is don't worry about the but don't worry about women in your life. Concentrate on your money. But then it has since evolved into poetic license as soon as 2009. I don't I don't think it evolved at all. I think that the I, I think that the original context is there as a paradoxical statement. It is it's intentionally ambiguous for for poetic reasons. Like you're supposed to hear that and then internalize it in a way that makes the most sense to you. Yeah. But also but also when confronted by the alternate scenario, it's like it makes it, it makes sense equally regardless of how you view it. And I, I think that's part of the genius of Biggie Smalls. No, well, absolutely. There, there's a reason. There's a reason why these guys are held up as geniuses in the rap world because they are because they fucking are. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, notorious B, you know, Biggie, notorious B.I.G. It is absolutely timeless. Absolutely timeless. Um, but I kind of want to end on a positive note before we move on here. And I just think if we change the punctuation or the emphasis a little bit on this expression, you can turn it into a positive thing. You can be like, fuck. Bitches get money like like I am very impressed by how you are securing your financial situation. You budding young lady. What if we say fuck bitches like they say fuck boy. So like fuck boys get money. Fuck boys get money. Yeah, I think well, boys get money. No, no, no. Fuck boys do not get money. They waste it on like fucking crazy shit like PBR and fucking ten dollar Molly and shit like that. All right. So maybe that's not a valid interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, if, if anyone out there, if any artist out there wants to turn into a positive, I just change the comma. You know, fuck bitches get money. Although you should never call anyone bitches in your life unless they are expressly OK with that. Or if you're a drag queen and you're talking to other drag queens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to do a another question from the r slash no stupid questions. It's an amazing uh, hive mind of just discourse i would say discourse or discord however you want to, just like it, it's just mental disarray and i love it 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 uh so the question we want to deal with today is can everyone else smell pregnancy or do i have the lamest superpower ever <laughs> first of all bold of you to assume this is a superpower like this person thinks uh, very highly of themselves okay so we we can this is actually a two-part question yeah one, can everyone else smell pregnancy? Two, is smelling pregnancy the lamest superpower ever? So, okay, I like the idea of us breaking it up. First, let me say the smells of pregnancy has to be Yankee Candle's least popular product. <laughs> you know, you, you, you can't you can't spell placenta without scent, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, 
Oh no! Uh, full full disclosure, d- despite my best efforts, I have never been pregnant. Uh, so I kind of so I, I don't really want to talk about. <laughs> I, I the believe nuance. me, I've tried. Yeah, I have tried. <laughs> well, you've actually gotten someone pregnant, so and then lived to tell the tale. So you, you're a little, yeah, but not you. No, no, no. Despite our best efforts, <laughs> <laughs> despite our best efforts, Matt and I have not been able to biologically pr- reproduce, and that is. Very upsetting because then we could retire and and our our sole heir could take over the show and just talk to himself. I was I would assume that we'd have a male baby because we'd have no female genes. And if you are a biologist and know for sure what would happen if Matt and I were to sexually reproduce, go ahead and write us an email. Okay? <laughs> really get into the details. Really get into the details of the science behind that, and then we'll call this Reddit guy and find out if we smell fertile fertilizer. <laughs> Send us your best fertilizer. I, I assume the question has to do with. The changes in in hormone production and the fluctuations can change someone's odor. First of all, I'll give you the background that they offer. Okay, okay. The asker here points out that they had kind of an isolated childhood, so they didn't meet a whole lot of people. Mm. And the first time he met, I'm assuming, the the first time this person met a pregnant person, they noticed a smell that was very unpleasant for them. They assumed as they grew older that – Everybody could smell pregnant people. They were just being polite because they smelled terrible. I love the fact that this guy smells one pregnant person. This is like, oh, my God, I am a God. I can fucking tell. I don't need a pregnancy test. I am the pregnancy test. Well, I, I they, they make the assumption, though, and I don't think that it's a it's a wild assumption. If you can smell something, you assume other people can smell something. Yeah, but I'm saying that but like the difference because you can smell one pregnant person doesn't mean you can smell all of them. And so for, for this person to for this person to assume that, I think, is just making him or her more important than they really are. Well, that, that that's just it, though. This happens to them every time they see a pregnant person okay. like, OK, when a pregnant person walks into the room, they say that they can smell it. OK, well, then I, t- I totally believe that this person has has that ability. I mean, like for for, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to assume this person isn't lying. <laughs> Yeah, they offer a specific situation. I was in a Starbucks staring out the window waiting for my drink when I smelt the smell. Mm. I turned around and in the doorway was a pregnant woman. Okay. Yeah, obviously pregnant, right? Like to someone who is showing, I guess. Okay. I don't care if you have a superpower that detects pregnancy. You still don't ask. Oh, oh, dude. If I saw a woman giving birth (laughs) on the subway, I would not fucking say shit because you don't you just the cost, the benefit to cost ratio is just off on that one. You just go back to watching porn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, (laughs) that's disgusting. I'm just going to go ahead and click on this link right now and see what happens. Yeah, you're like, excuse me, miss. As you may recall from our earlier episode. I am just driving the technology forward. <laughs> uh, that's an Easter egg for our most original <laughs> listeners. So we appreciate it. Our most original listeners. I would say, though, um, uh, I do have an example of a woman that is able to smell. I almost said other diseases, but being pregnant is not a disease. I know a, a case of a woman who can smell a disease. Well, I mean, it is a parasite situation. And I say that with the with the. The utmost respect for all three of my children. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like you you have really been the uh, driving force behind reproduction, but in this between the two of us, for sure. Hey, someone's going to replace the the host of this podcast when the time comes. Oh, I'm bold of you to assume your child to be as funny as me. But let's hope. Let, <laughs> let's hope. Well, let's hope. I, I can only hope to neglect my child as badly as you've been neglected. Yeah. Well, that is. Well, we're now we're tapping into some real shit. 
Um, if you want me, <laughs> if you want me to cry, we can see we can keep talking about this. But no, okay, uh, I'm, I'm I'm ready. I kind of want to talk about this. Uh, is now a good time to talk about it? Or should I wait to talk about this one woman that I know that can smell a disease? A legit no. Tell okay, I want to hear about every woman you know. So I assume that's like right. five. Well, that's actually you're not that <laughs> off. But no, uh, this is not a woman that I know. This is a, a woman that I know of. Her name is okay. uh, Joy Milne, and she's a nurse. She claims that she can smell Parkinson's. When her husband, who was the you know tender age of thirty five years old, she noticed he smelled off. All right, and the smell didn't go away. So she chalked it up to you know something her husband couldn't control, or just like some sort of like. He wasn't being hygienic, right? She kind of let it go. All right. But it wasn't after till he was diagnosed with Parkinson's that she realized that other people at the support meeting smelled the same way. So okay. so um, an academic study actually was it took place. They gave people with Parkinson's and people without Parkinson's a white shirt to wear for a little bit. They gave all the shirts to Joy to, to see if she could tell. Uh, she only made one mistake. People with Parkinson's oh, and people wow. with didn't. So it's actually pretty crazy. How embarrassing. Actually pretty crazy. How embarrassing for her. Why? Why are they embarrassing for her? The one mistake? She made a mistake. Oh, dude, yeah. I feel like, yeah, but like, I feel like the best we could do it, the best we could hope for is 50-50, and she was able to do it like 98% of the time. I think it's pretty good. So, Matt, I am familiar with that case, and you should point out at this point that uh, the person that she misidentified later found out that they had Parkinson's. Wow, I actually didn't know that. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. NPR fucked you, me on that Do you want to one. reveal that to me or do you want me to reveal that to you? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, I think I think this brings up an interesting ethical question. If, it, if this woman is just walking through her life and she realizes someone has Parkinson's, what is the ethics around telling someone that? It might not be something that they know. Is it, so is it appropriate? <sighs> no, I don't think it's inappropriate. What if it was Alzheimer's? I th- I think what if a, it was Alzheimer's? I think... I think it's a hard conversation to have with a stranger. Oh, if someone if someone's like, excuse me, you might have Parkinson's. I can smell it. I'd be like, OK, ma'am, you need to step away because I'm on my way to work and you're on your way. You need a copy of like your New England Journal of Medicine that I carry and around you everywhere. Say, yeah, you, yeah. You, you flip the page, your, your dog eared page 35 and say, see my picture here. I'm the lady that smells Parkinson's. And I think you should go talk to your doctor. Funny you said dog eared because dogs can detect cancer by smell. There are they can detect skin cancer, breast cancer and bladder cancer. And actually, in 2006, some dogs were trained to detect cancer based on breath smells. So that's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got to get one of those. I'm I'm deathly, deathly afraid of cancer for obvious uh, reasons. All the yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think do you think they're ever going to have Parkinson's scented deodorant? <laughs> <laughs> it's a th- so this woman says that it smells a thick a heavy, thick musk is what she says it smells like. Oh, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I bet you I bet there's actually money to be made in an insurance agency. Like, if, oh, if yeah. she went to go work for like an insurance company, she could she could screen for Parkinson's. Um, but let's get back to the can everyone else smell pregnancy or do I have the lamest superpower ever? Yeah. Can everyone else smell pregnancy? No, no. Everyone. However, can. there are there are super smellers out there. Uh, I'm going to just toss a toss a word out there. Tetrachromats. Ooh. So have you heard, have you heard of tetrachromats? Mm, no, but I think tetra means like what? Five, right? Four. Four. Shit. Oh, yeah. I'm yep. a fucking idiot. I don't know, man. Yeah. Penta is five. You're, you are not an idiot. And we're going to we're going to just cut that right. the fuck Oh, out. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. For you to admit that you're an idiot on our podcast. It would be bad branding. Edgy. It would be bad branding. It'd be <laughs> terrible branding. <laughs> um. <laughs> Tetrachromats are actually people who can see a fourth color. So you have rods and cones in your eye. Yep. They see red, blue, and green. 
tetrachromats have a fourth cone Whoa. that allows them to see things that are in the yellow spectrum that are outside of our normal visual capability. Now, our world as human beings is based about around that RBG setup. So it doesn't come up all that often that somebody sees a shade or a hue, or they don't even recognize that they're seeing a shade or a hue that other people aren't seeing. And interesting fact, it's believed that all tetrachromats are women. Wow. Interesting. I, I, I almost said, like, how do we know we're not it? But I guess that's pretty obvious now. <laughs> and, you know, I could given the given the history of of men being the default of everything for medical examination and science and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's no wonder that somebody fucking missed it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things about the scientific method that is sort of the glory of it is that it's supposed to be this sort of neutral, unbiased approach to things, but it's, it's actually impossible for us to remove ourselves from the context of the, of the discussion and our own lived experience. Yeah, our lived experience and also societal pressures and who's actually conducting the research. Because guess what? White men don't necessarily ask all the right questions all the time. They might be asking interesting questions or valid questions. Like we do. But somebody with a different <laughs> perspective. And this is this is the ultimate condemnation of our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we'll, we'll cancel ourselves before anyone else can, can, can get to it first. <laughs> we know there's super smellers. We know that people can smell Parkinson's. And we know that there are people who have like almost extra eyesight, right? So uh-huh. it's totally unsurprising that someone would be able to smell pregnancy. But I think, is this the lamest superpower ever? I just think you're th- I just think this person is thinking too much of, them, of themselves. I disagree. I think it is a superpower and I, I, I think it has value. Sure, it has value. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a if there's a way to use a, an unusual ability for good, it's a superpower. Oh, I 100 percent disagree. That doesn't make any sense. So so then being a billionaire and donating money is a superpower. Being a billionaire. I, I don't know, because it, it, that's not something that's outside of people's reach. I, it I, is absolutely I really outside feel, of most people's reach. I, I feel like a superpower has to be an aberration. I mean, you, you don't you don't think a billionaire is an aberration? The ability to accrue wealth is not an aberration in of itself. I gotcha. I, I guess like um, I see. OK, I see what you're saying. It's something inherent within the person is what you're saying. I, I don't even necessarily know that it's it's inherent, but it has to be something that can't be replicated by choice. If that makes sense. Okay. I, I, I guess I can get down with that. I, I, I think people who have more abilities than others in, I guess we're talking about senses, does not a superhero make. This person isn't conjuring up a literal storm like storm, right? Okay. Well, here, here's the thing, though. Like, to use your billionaire analogy, there is nothing stopping you Matt Saintsing from creating a hit podcast that turns into Amazon. Man, I'm knocking on wood right right now. You heard it here first on our podcast. This podcast is the next Amazon. So you better get in on the ground floor. Send us all your money. I mean, is it a lamest superpower ever? People center themselves and make themselves a little more important than they are on purpose. I think everyone wants to be the king. And this is the way of this Reddit user's way of being. I am so special. I can smell pregnancy, which means that it's true. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying you're not as cool as you think you are. You know what, Matt? This is going to be this is going to be a recurring theme on our show. Okay, you're going to hear it here. You're going to hear it now in this episode. You're going to hear it on episode 500. Sure. I disagree with you. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I. I yeah, that I think that's totally fine, which is weird because we're both know it alls. And here we are living our own paradoxical reality in which both of us know it all. But we disagree. Well, um. yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, um, <laughs> I just have the ability of being right. 
I just have that added advantage. So <laughs> I have the greatest superpower ever, which is also being right. <laughs> but my counter argument here is because the Reddit user Elemental Almas mm. states that is this the lamest superpower ever? There's some humility there. Okay. And right, I'm going right. to give them credit for the humility. They're asking if they have a superpower. And I know earlier I said it's an unusual ability that can be used for good, but I think the other the flip side of a superpower is that 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 choice. Yeah is really important. Is this person making a choice to use it for good or are they making a, or do they also have the option for using it for evil? I mean, so the only way to use it for evil, I think, is to know someone is pregnant at a bar and then like feed them drinks, right? Or just like, or or lie to them, be like, oh, you're pregnant and then they're not actually (laughs) pregnant. You're just fucking with them, right? Like they're in the first trimester, they haven't taken a test yet. They're wondering why they're throwing up and you're just like, here, have another tequila shot. Well, I know we already established that the Parkinson's nurse is married, but do you think that... Is it serious, you think? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Parkinson's that her husband has is serious. Yeah, but their marriage is what I'm talking about. He smells, apparently, so, you know... Smells terrible. Smells terrible. Yeah. My proposal here was maybe if we could hook this Reddit user up with the lady that can smell Parkinson's, maybe they could breed uh, a new generation of, of actual diagnostic, <laughs> of diagnostic super smellers. But I know that relationship wouldn't last because the moment she got pregnant, that dude would be out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've arrived at the part of the podcast where we invite our listeners to close their I eyes and I open their minds. This. I hate it so And much. imagine uh, me, Ryan, making an artful transition to our next I, I I hate that we're just like drawing it out for people to be like, wow, they have no fucking idea what they're doing. That's okay. All right. So, and I hate to break it to you. Oh, we're still, ta- we're still talking about it. We're still talking. About it. Yeah. We are. <laughs> and, 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 and we've pressed the record button. We are committed to talk about it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my argument. Okay. Matt. All right. Every conversation that we have, regardless of how many episodes we put out is fun. It's fun. And it's, it, it's an experiment. Okay. It's, it's us learning new things about each other and how to do what we do. Like which one can get but pregnant no, and which one can't. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, in the future, we can both get pregnant. We have the te- we, we have the technology. <laughs> God damn it. There's our legacy to think of. Um, so let's talk about gods. <laughs> yeah. So I, I believe you had a, uh, a topic that you wanted to raise, and I think it's it, it's going to be good fun. Oh, the question is for people who are not religious. What is your favorite God and why? And Ryan, are you I actually don't know. How, how would you describe your religious views? I identify as an atheist. Mm, I also would call myself an atheist. We have a super diverse podcast, religiously speaking. No, yeah. I mean, like, well, I mean, we're, we're diverse in the sense that, you know, we're not diverse in any other sense, in any sense, actually. <laughs> That's part of what spurred us creating a podcast together. Is we're so alike in a lot of ways. Like carbon copies um, of each other. But I, my experience with religion is pretty broad. As an atheist, I try to look at religion as neutrally as possible. I'm not... I, I think that you could describe various degrees of atheism. Mm. One, starting with agnosticism. Agnosticism is the... I don't know. Is essentially, yeah, it's an I don't know. It's it's a taking a position of ignorance. Yeah. And then you could say atheism and then true atheism. And I think the where I draw the uh, the line there is uh, for for a true atheist, they believe in the non-existence of God. Yeah. Like yeah. 
I believe that God does not exist. Yeah, I, I think I come on the side of there's I don't see compelling evidence for there to be any God that exists. But I also am not a dick about it. Like, I'm not going to judge anyone else for being religious or for having faith. So so for me as an atheist, um, it's not so much that I believe in the absence of God as much as to mimic what you just said. I see no compelling evidence for the existence of God, and I ignore Pascal's wager. I would say that that's not mimicking me. You straight up just lifted my whole answer. <laughs> To copy off Matt. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cribbed your I cribbed your notes on God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big, but I added in the Pascal's wager thing, which was not something that you even brought up. Oh, so. I, I, I brought it up in my mind first. So. So Pascal's wager is, I think, kind of a cop out on Pascal's part. Yeah. Basically, it's saying that because I cannot prove or disprove the existence of God, Given the consequences of not believing in God, I, I choose to believe in God. Maybe this is something that we that we need to bring in a guest, uh, a guest who thinks differently than us to discuss. But if I were to choose a favorite God and why? Yeah, I have a, I have a short list. As someone who came up in American public education, I was exposed to a lot of Greek and Roman mythology for no fucking reason, I feel like. Right? For me, the obvious one is uh, Kolomos, the Greek god of stupidity. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> He's mentioned once by Aristophanes, by Aristophanes and never again. So I think that's just kind of funny. <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> My favorite deity would be the Roman goddess Cardia, who is the goddess of door hinges. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, the deity, the, the, the deity figure, the divine figure that gives me the most just joy the one that sparks the most joy the one that gets your goat and I, ironically enough uh I, i'm quoting marie kondo here but it is a japanese well japanese and chinese uh buddha mm. so the amida buddha is the central figure of western pure land buddhism this buddha exists for folks who recognize that they cannot achieve enlightenment on their own and if you declare in a statement of faith that you are incapable of achieving enlightenment, you speak this mantra a, a certain number of times. When you die, the Amida Buddha will whisk you away to the Western Pure Land Paradise. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I, I like it because it kind of injects some humility into the observer of the religion. Do you detect any comparisons to maybe some other religions? Well, y it just took you a very long time to explain it, so I kind of forgot. <laughs> I mean, legit, so, I kind of don't know what the thing is. What's what's the stick? What, what, what's what's the Buddha? Okay, stick? so so what's interesting about the Amida Buddha is that because of narrative similarities to Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. When Christian missionaries first arrived in Japan. Oh, yeah. The Japanese officials actually thought that Christianity was a form of Buddhism. Huh? Because they're like, oh, you, you just you you you. Like the salvation, and, and you got to remember they're 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 translating all these concepts from one language to another. Yeah, yeah. So anytime you're dealing with religious language, there's going to be terminology that doesn't quite fit. So th this idea that you could pray to Jesus to save your soul from damnation, and you would get to and you go to heaven if you you know you go through the baptismal process, was very similar to the Amida Buddha. Hmm. Then later on, the Japanese uh, the Japanese officials figure, oh, wait, no, this isn't the same thing. 
So they started killing the missionaries and expelling them. No, there's actually a really good movie that came out a few years ago with uh, Liam Neeson, where it was about the uh, first Christian missionaries in Japan and how the first Japanese Christians were were murdered. They were actually crucified, as were the, uh-huh. I believe, Portuguese and Spanish clergy. Yeah, so that, that would have been the uh, Tokugawa period that we addressed in previous episodes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That, 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 that big blank spot in your education. But that's OK. Uh, American schools are terrible and they do not teach us world history. Oh, and I also went to public school in Florida. So take it for what it's worth. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Man. I'm sorry. You said public school in Florida and I laughed and I feel so bad about that because there are so many people that live in Florida. Yeah. I mean, Florida gets a bad rap. I feel like it. it I don't know. I found my footing despite my Florida roots. <laughs> The idea of picking out a favorite god is kind of fun and interesting. And absolutely, we both absolutely. took the time to sit down and think about what makes a god interesting to us. For for me, it's what draws us together and speaks to basic human insecurities or questions. You know that that hole inside of you that is filled by spirituality or philosophy or whatever. And hmm. for some people living in a remote part of Papua New Guinea, their favorite god is the now recently deceased Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip. It's actually kind of wild. I was I was unfamiliar about this. You pitched it to me and it is it is kind of out there, I would say. Yeah. So I found out recently and it's actually an article on uh, the Telegraph. So this is this is mainstream. This isn't really us QCing something. We're not fact checking. But this is just one of those things that you find and it's just like, well, what's up with that? Going down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Yeah. So we ended up kind of going down a rabbit hole and it touched on some stuff that I was familiar with. But there are actually a a couple villages on a Melanesian island, which is an area that encompasses like Papua New Guinea and areas north of Australia. So it it would be indigenous inhabitants that are related to the the Aborigines of Australia. Hmm. There's a group that, starting in the 1970s, actually began to worship Prince Philip as a deity or spiritual figure. Yeah, uh, and I know Vanuatu gained independence uh, like in the 80s, I want to say. And it does have a colonial relationship with the United Kingdom and as well as France. So completely Uh unsurprising that a British monarch would be injected into this, uh, this colony, essentially. The deification occurred after a tribal leader rode out onto a canoe and he like he claims basically that he had a spiritual awakening uh he saw prince philip in his naval garb standing on his royal yacht and he's like that's the messiah hmm interesting you live in a society that has been essentially quote contactless right i think the first time you see a large boat and someone standing on there with like medals and i guess i can understand how he kind of got there it doesn't it you know what's really interesting here is it's sort of a an explanation without context yeah in that there is a foreign power that is exerting political authority over an area that does not have the same technological capabilities. There is a saying, which I don't know, we're going to say Isaac Asimov said it, but I'm sure somebody's going to correct me. Sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable, uh, indistinguishable from magic. It turns out that this was kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Prince Philip was uh, lauded by this group 
and a cult was formed around it. And the cult actually bears some resemblance to a concept called a cargo cult. I mean, when you're talking about people in a cult who are interested in the royal family, I'm surprised this is not an American person, (laughs) right? I know people that woke up in the middle of the night to watch a wedding to people they didn't know for some reason. (laughs) Colonial relationships really mess with people's minds. And obviously, America, we live in a country with a colonial relationship with England, but I, I, I think we do have more of a uh, an organic cultural connection than folks living in, you know, isolated islands in the Pacific. Yeah, they have their own cultural traditions and things like that that were interrupted by colonialism. And at some point, you have to justify or explain the political changes going on around you and people People make those adjustments all the time in every society, in every cultural unit, in every social situation. Uh, Flux is constantly explained. You know, our our goal here is to discuss this without otherizing those indigenous communities because uh, what they're doing is a normal human activity. But let's let's talk about cargo cults for a second to kind of give you an idea of what tradition this is coming out of. So can you explain what a cargo cult is? Because I'm still kind of fuzzy on it. Yeah. So cargo cult is debatably not even the correct term to use. I didn't find any reference on what we should be calling it. Okay. What happened was starting in the really in the 20th century and hitting a peak right after World War II, indigenous communities were trying to process the presence of technologically advanced colonial powers operating in their sphere. Mm. And World War II is the largest scale war that humanity has ever seen, period, bar none. And it happened in the Pacific Theater on their front doorsteps. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just imagine uh, people with equipment, weapons. I mean, if you've never seen a machine gun before, it does absolutely seem like magic for sure. You may as well be shooting lightning from your fingertips. Yeah, oh, d- definitely. I have this, uh, this background in, in sub-Saharan uh, African politics. Two inventions that really helped the colonial powers take over large swaths of land were the Gatling gun and then the discovery of quinine having anti-malarial properties. Both of these scenes sound like it could be out of a fantasy storybook if you've never really, if you have no other context other than these in the yeah. inventions, as you say, like lightning shooting from your fingertips. I had a little bit of context for the importance of the concept of cargo in these societies from Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really good book. A a missed opportunity on his part. That guy should have fronted a metal band. Guns, Germs, and Steel? Yeah, you're right. My name's Jared Diamond. This is Guns, Germs, and Steel. (laughs) And then his next book, Collapse, could be the title of their debut album. I can can see it, honestly. He was way more successful as being an author. (laughs) Probably. But the opening of Guns, Germs and Steel, he's actually talking to somebody that uh, a friend of his in Papua New Guinea, Mm -hmm. who is wondering why white people have cargo and people from Papua New Guinea do not have cargo and cargo being a general term for the material wealth of colonial powers. Yeah. yeah. Why do some people have this stuff, but other people don't have this? stuff? I think this is you're talking about the kind of global inequality being brought to the forefront and witnessing it on the global stage from a very finite viewpoint. While Jared Diamond does go on to answer to theorize why certain groups have it and others don't. Cargo cults have a different theory based on the cultural context and the in the information available to them. So what a cargo cult is, is sort of a spiritual movement that arose in these communities after witnessing just the massive supply chain. Yeah 
of global war. What happened was soldiers, first from, in most cases, first from the Japanese military and then later Western forces, would arrive on these small isolated islands that had become part of this global turf war. And they would bring with them food, medicine, manufactured clothing, and material goods that were unheard of. It was just an unbelievable yeah. amount of wealth. Yeah. Now, you also have to take into consideration the cultural context for wealth, especially when you talk about like tribal societies. Uh, we live in a largely capitalist civilization that is built around consumer wealth. And the colonial powers coming from Europe tended to exert their influence and authority and express themselves through the extraction of resources from foreign countries. But that's not necessarily the same way that other cultures behave. So when you talk about like Chinese treasure fleets in the 15th century, the Chinese government at the time, the imperial Chinese government is actually loading their their junks, which is the name of a boat. In their trunks. They're putting junk in their trunk. Well, yeah. So what they did is they actually loaded riches onto the boats to be distributed to show the greatness of the Chinese empire. That makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're, you're demonstrating your ability to move heavy, large objects. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like a military thing, for sure. It's a, it, it's a display of wealth and power. Yeah. And to not paint with two broad of a brush here, a lot of these tribal communities built around having a chief or a person who is capable of providing material goods now had to reconcile with an outside force that appeared on their doorstep with seemingly unlimited supply of material goods. And what that created was a spiritual response because in most societies, whether it's Melanesian island civilization or a European island civilization run by people who look like ghosts, <laughs> um, if, if you if you live in a civilization run by ghosts, which is what everything I know about the European monarchy system I learned from Macbeth, the assumption is that if you have power, if you have material wealth, it is because you have been divinely favored. Specifically, when we talk about the British and how they exerted power over people and area is something called indirect rule, where the uh -huh. British would essentially use the existing power structures within the society to kind of exert their own power. So they would take a, a chief or an, a tribal executive or someone who had some power in society and essentially be like, you are in charge of this area now. We're going to flow resources and information to you. As long as you keep things in line, you you know, the, the gravy train is going on. And that's essentially how, yeah. how British, the, the French were way different. They had direct rule, which we can talk about in a little bit, but it is, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think where we really want to focus focus here is in most civilizations, the person who has the power has been divinely mandated, whether it be in, in Chinese, in Chinese culture, you'd call it the mandate of heaven yeah. in, in European culture. It tends to get flipped around uh, by European scholars, yeah. not necessarily by Chinese scholars as divine mandate. And then in these Melanesian tribes, there is a concept that the ancestors or the spiritual powers that be have provided these goods. So what happened was they were trying to figure out without any context for the supply, the massive supply chain and manufacturing process that went into delivering those goods to their shores. They started trying to emulate the activities undertaken by the people who were receiving the goods, which had to have, by their explanation, a spiritual or magical origin 
because the concept of manufacturing a machine gun is just it's magic. It's magic. So how do we get from being in awe of inventions to Prince Philip is a god? It's related in the sense that Prince Philip has a massive amount of material yeah. wealth and there's yeah. obviously a political connection between the colonial uh, the colonial authority and material goods. Yeah, I totally understand. I just wanted to make that connection for people who are like, what the fuck are they talking about? (laughs) When I say people, I mean me who is going to listen to this in the future and be like, what the fuck were we talking about? There's a little bit of specific mythology about Prince Philip. He is a spirit or ancestor who left their island a long time ago to go marry a powerful leader Hmm. and bring back cargo. Interesting. Okay. that's, That's the mythology. And the explanation for him being white is that he rolled on a coral reef and it shredded off his black skin and left him white. Huh. So I think this is something maybe Mormonism can get down with that. <laughs> right? Like, isn't like a tenant of, of uh, Mormonism? That people that people of darker skin are children of Cain. I believe they yeah, abandoned yeah. that mythology in the late 70s, Prince, uh, just as Prince Philip was becoming a god. <laughs> What's really interesting about this, though, for me anyway, is the degree to which the people who were involved in these spiritual movements adopted the activities of those occupying powers. What was happening is they were seeing the activities of these European and American and and Japanese soldiers, and they started imitating it. Hmm. You had these tribal communities clearing out mock airstrips and setting up parade grounds, and they would go out there and they would do drill and ceremony. Hmm. They would March with bamboo rifles Hmm. in order to summon aircraft to drop off supplies. Wow. Interesting. Huh. I never knew that. And they they went so far as they they would build signal towers and antennas out of bamboo. It's like they're on Gilligan's Island. It's like the professor from Gilligan's Island. Well, you joke, but there's literally documentation of them making radios out of coconuts. Well, I wouldn't say that I joked. I was just making it, you know, but I don't want to, you know, be very careful here. We we know that the good people of... The Gilligan's Island thing is actually kind of apropos because you you have the professor constantly making things out of coconuts. And these folks were using the resources that were available to them in order to recreate the what they viewed as rituals. And let's be honest, the military is a cult in its own right. Everybody dresses the same. They get the same stupid haircut. They walk in straight lines and they chant. I am already sold that the army is a giant. Like people hate, they say it's the largest gang in the world. Uh, No, it's a fucking cult. It's a cult. You know, it's a cult. It's easy to look at that and otherize it and say, ha ha ha. It's funny that they did these things, but it totally makes sense. And it's really not that different than what we see in America. In American culture, we can see similar stuff with prosperity gospel. You have figures like Creflo Dollar who are flying around in private jets and and having prayer sessions to achieve material wealth. This idea of using ritual practice to get material reward is not something that is isolated to small communities. We see it in mainstream American culture being advertised on our airwaves on Sunday morning. All anyone has to do is take a road trip across the South and turn on to some radio to, to kind of be exposed to this. No, I think I think you bring, bring up a great point. It is not a phenomena that is isolated. This is a story as old as time, as long as there have been humans that wanted to get rich, they've been making up magic reasons to do so, right? We constantly turn to things outside of the material world to explain injustices and inequities in the world that we live in. Oh, absolutely. There, there is something special about reaching into the divine. And If we're going to revisit our earlier question. What God's your favorite? If you were going to choose a living figure oh. to deify... Who would it be? America has already deified 
all the Kardashians, so I don't want to say that. Or Beyonce. There's a significant plurality of people that have uh, certainly deified Donald Trump. Oh, well, absolutely. No, I mean, the QAnon thing is definitely almost a religious fervor for sure. I think, you know, I'm trying to think of, do I have a role model or someone I look up to that I would want to worship? I I can't get past that mental break. No one's that special. Other than Beyonce. It's Beyonce. (laughs) Beyonce is a very strong choice. Absolutely. You know, I mean, she is the closest thing we have to a living goddess on this world. So, yeah, there are definitely some figures in American pop culture that I think are worthy of deification in a lot of respects. And I I say this with a full understanding that every single one of them probably has a sex scandal already uncovered or that will be uncovered in due time. And it's going to have its own Netflix documentary. Just just wait. There are definitely some cult figures in American pop culture that could rise to this level. Neil deGrasse Tyson for the popular science folks. Uh, he does actually have a sex scandal. I would say yeah, uh, he definitely can, does. He definitely does. I think you can you can you you can educate yourselves on that one. I'm not going to present an opinion. I would say also Sam Harris or people who have like this large following that is really couched in rational thought and I would say anti-religiosity. Yeah, in the atheist community, there is definitely a dickhead wing. Oh, yeah. That are very interested in debating the merits of religion. I think I actually used to be part of that in my early 20s, but I have since calmed down. And that's what we call growth, people. (laughs) As we have said before, and we will say again, it will become our mantra. We are better now than we once were. For example, these days we give full credit to people who contribute to our show like Rick Reynolds, who has given us use of his song United from the album Portals in Progress, which you can find on Amazon, iTunes and Spotify. And we are on social media at Wreck Your Pod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And we also have an email at wreckyourpod at gmail.com. If you think we missed something, if you want us to cover a topic, please send us a line. While it would be vain of us to suggest that we ourselves could become objects of veneration. Just know that you do have access to us and you can choose for yourself what's right for you and your community. Well said. That all being said, if you find yourself staring at something on the internet that just seems too right, too wrong, or too questionable, and you're wondering whether you should share it, and you cannot wait until our next episode, we encourage you to check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart.